right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life on Side B. Um, I am here with Ashley and Elizabeth. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. Yes. Good early morning to us all. It really is. Day after Cinco de Mayo. Mm, I was just telling um, Josh and Ashley that, okay, so leave it to the moms to, first of all, to be willing to record on Saturday morning at 9 and 8 a.m., right? Like, of course, we're up. We're going to do this. Um, but I, I came thoroughly unprepared with Cinco de Mayo yesterday, hair, makeup still on, did not wash my face last night. Because, look, it was my people's holiday. I had to celebrate. Amen. <laughs> okay. Quiz time. Do you know what oh, Cinco no, de don't Mayo you celebrates? Start- don't don't you start with me. Don't Do you even start with me. Yes, actually I listened to a podcast about it a few okay. days ago. And then would you believe my son comes up to me and he goes, Mom, yesterday I'm getting ready. And he's like, Mom, do you know that Cinco de Mayo is not actually Mexico's Independence Day? I was like, Oh great, here we go. History lesson from my eleven year old. So I got hey, I got a whole reminder go. yesterday. There you go. No, I just oh had, like, I, I was at the office yesterday, and everybody's talking about it, and it was, like, this dude talking about how his mother-in-law didn't know what he was talking about, and kept going on and on and on. It's like, she's 67. I'm like, well, one, there you go, because yeah. two, this is a recent capitalist invention. Exactly. Yeah. For the most it, part. But but something still happened that was significant to acknowledge on First That's Cinco cool. de Mayo, so I'm... Yeah. I'm still about it. And quite honestly, any day to celebrate oh, yeah. Be- yeah. being Mexican and drinking some margaritas, I'm there. Amen. I'm there. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll honestly I just like giving people a hard time. That's my I life. totally forgot about what day it was yesterday until last night. I wanted to go buy liquor at basically midnight. And I went to this one liquor store that was open at 2 a.m. And it was right by like a taco stand. And there was just like... 30 people standing outside <laughs> by this taco stand at midnight. And I'm like, what is going on? So then I go inside and the guy's like, it's Cinco de Mayo. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. It's wild. My husband cleans the hospital at night. Like after I get back from work, he leaves and he goes do that for a few hours. And he got off a little early last night. So he passed through town just to see what it looked like at the Mexican place. Mm-hmm. Which was closing in twenty minutes. He's like, "There's still a line." Mm, wow, yep. crazy. Well, we're not here to talk about Mexican holidays not or all. anything. We are Though here we to talk could. about femininity. <laughs> we <Yeah>. could. <laughs> we easily could. Uh, we're here to talk about femininity, and I'm really excited to be on this with you guys. I'm going to act more as the interviewer, but I'm also excited to share some of my experiences with femininity. Yes, but, please um, do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I love having both of you here because I really think we were talking about a little bit beforehand, but Elizabeth, you're probably the most like in tune with their femininity on the co-host team. And Ashley, <laughs> I'd say you're probably one of the more butch of all the co I don't know about that, but. <laughs> I don't know. I we know, just had I a masculinity like could... episode where Henry and Grant just continually call, called each other girl throughout the exactly. whole episode. At least Henry can Ex- fix his car. <laughs> well, I yeah. was going to say, I don't know if I could say I'm the most feminine after listening to the masculinity conversation. <laughs> I feel like Henry and Grant might give it, might be giving me a run for my own money over here 
in the feminine corner. Oh my god! In in all the most beautiful ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, to start out, I want to both ask both of you: What was your first awareness of your femininity or being a woman, just in general, from your memory? Hmm. I'm gonna let you go first. I was gonna say the same thing, Ashley. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm actually going to not answer that question in the sense of I'll answer it, but not in the sense of I've always I don't think that there was really a moment where I was like, oh, I'm I'm someone who embodies femininity. I think it's always Mm -hmm. kind of been a part of who I am and how I saw myself. And I'm sure a lot of that is, you know, it's that balance, which neither is wrong, but I think some of it was very natural. Like it just was a part of me. Um, And then some of it was very cultural and kind of just, you know, it's nature nurture, you know, it was very much a nurture thing. I grew up in a black and Mexican household. So um, gender roles and kind of gender presentation were things that were important and kind of innately a part of the culture of my family. Um, so, you know, I always, my, my parents would always talk about like, oh, you're such a beautiful, a beautiful little girl. And, you know, I, I did ballet and, you know, all the dresses, all the things that are classically feminine outwardly were always a part of my life. Um, and, and even like mm. you do this in the house and part of the reason why you do some of those things in the house said or unsaid is because you're our daughter versus mm-hmm. you're our son. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Ashley? The way I think about it is I don't know that I ever became aware of my femininity until I became aware of a contrast. Um mm. I would say probably the first time I perceived it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to be such and such was probably around like six. I had a lot of guy friends and I'm from the South. Mm -hmm. And so to a certain age here, at the very least, most girls are tomboys and no one bats an eye. It's not a problem Mm -hmm. until they get older and they're like, we should grow out of that. But at that yeah. age, that wasn't there yet. So it was kind of just like, yeah, turn to friends. They're playing outside. They're riding bikes, you know. My parents remodeled their first house when I was like six. So all the families that came help, most of my friends were other little boys. And I loved it. My best friend until I was like 12, 14 was, was this other guy. It was like my mom's best friend's son. Um, and I remember at one point I got a tea set for a birthday or Christmas present. Either way, I was thrilled. Toys are toys. I didn't care. Mm. But I was like, so I brought it out to my guy friends to play with outside. And they're like, um, what are we supposed to do with that? And I was like, well, we're Roman soldiers on coffee break. I freaking love that. Because <laughs> it was me trying to conjoin my two worlds. And yes. they're like, sweetie, they're, and like, it was like his mom. They're just some things the guys aren't going to want to do. And I was like, mm. Okay. And I just, I just, that's a moment that's just stuck in my brain forever. It's always just been like, that was just kind of like a moment. And then throughout life, you know, growing and, and, and going and whatnot, I just kind of stay, I didn't grow out of it. 
I was always like, I remember when I was little, I begged my dad. I just wanted a pocket knife. I wanted a pocket knife. I wanted a pocket knife. I wanted a pocket knife. And mm. they wouldn't give me one because that's dangerous. My brothers to this day, if they don't have a pocket knife on them, will get scolded. Mm. Wow. And they got them at a very young age. And I mm. was like, obviously you didn't need to give it to me when I was five. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Neither did your brothers need them when they were five. No, I'm hoping they, they didn't get it. No. Okay. They good. started getting them around like eight, ten. <laughs> sure, they took, sure. They took them in like their ranger class, like knife safety, blah, 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 blah. Like okay. there are things that like I noticed that my dad taught my brothers that he didn't teach me. And I didn't really notice it at the time. But now as an adult, I see things that I can't do that if my brothers don't know, they will be scolded. Because those are, to me, those are basic life skills. Like, I should know how to cook and I should be able to fix my toilet. Yes. Amen. Yes. Please. I was never taught that. I don't know how to fix my toilet. My brother had to go fix my toilet the other day. And that's not a problem that someone else can come fix my things. Because I'm also the person, I'm like, even if I can do it, I usually don't want to. Um, <laughs> I had to fix my mom's lawnmower and I was not pleased. I did it. I was not pleased. Um... So that's like one of those things I'm like, if I was a boy, I would have been taught those things and I would have appreciated being taught those things. If they can't change their oil, my dad's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I can't change my oil. He's like, yeah, go get it changed. And I'm like, it's a basic life skill, please. But another thing I remember remembering was like when I went into, in our church, they had like rangers and missionettes, which was basically like scouts and whatever, uh, Girl Scouts. I like that the, the girls group was called missionettes. Missionettes. I don't even know what that means, <laughs> and I'm a little afraid afraid to ask. The boys was called Royal Rangers, and the girls was Missionettes. So, in like when it was smaller, the three year olds basically it was boys and girls together, and I remember being in that class and like loving it and blah 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 blah. And then we moved, and so I didn't go through like the tears. And then we came back when I was like ten, and so I was in like. The tier was like stars or whatever. And so it's all like the 10 and 11 year old, like fifth grade girls. And I became very aware at that point. I'm like, something is not the same. It is wow. me. Yeah. They'll have like the butterfly clips and mm -hmm. the gel pens. I don't remember if you remember that vibe. That moment oh, yeah. in time. Of course. I had them. All of them. <laughs> Every color. <laughs> <laughs> right. I didn't. I wanted the gel pens. Those are cool. We were just broke. But, you know, all my friends, you know, were in this moment of, you know, getting their first bras and starting to wear makeup. And I was at the same age going through kind of like the same level of pre-puberty and everything. But like I wasn't allowed to wear makeup till I was 13 and everything mm -hmm. on top of that. Very, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but it was also I just felt so different from them. I wanted so bad to be feminine and I felt like I wasn't mm. and I felt like an outsider in my peer group. Mm. It's also because I'm an introvert and I didn't gather and put that that was a big part of it. They're all happy to be, you know, over here screaming and hollering. And I'm like, mm, do something else, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I was very shy and everything, but that was a, I think those are like the two big moments where I noticed I'm like, they're like this and I wish I was that way. Wow. And I feel like I'm not. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting though, Ashley, two things I'm thinking about from what you said. One is that you had these distinct moments. And I I just 
it's so amazing when you hear somebody else's story because in my mind it's like there were moments that somebody had where they were like, oh, I'm I'm feminine or I'm supposed to be feminine or this is some aspects of my character that I want to embrace. Um, but I, I love that for you because I think you probably had a sense of self-awareness at a young age that I didn't have. And, and I, I think that that's actually pretty interesting and amazing. And then the other thing is that there was a desire for femininity in your mind or given your context yeah. that you felt like you couldn't either naturally or had permission to embrace. And that makes me feel like, well, then what is part of the question is also like, what is femininity? Is yeah. it fair for it to be in these very binary boxes? Because I would argue that you carry a lot of, of femininity that maybe isn't butterfly clips and, you know, wanting I would agree with to, that yeah. now. It's something yeah, I had yeah. to learn. Totally. Um, I've definitely fought with my feelings about gender and gender expression and was aware of those struggles far longer than I was aware of my sexuality. I can say that much. Even though our the first, like, probably girl crush I had was also in that missionette setting. So, yay. Ah, the missionettes. <laughs> Telling you. <laughs> I love this. They're the icon of the episode, the missionettes. <laughs> <laughs> one of our listeners when I mentioned it the first time because we talked about the lock-in because we were talking mm -hmm. about Simla's album and she had the church group lock-in oh, song yes. and I mm -hmm. talked about how like my first crush was in a church group lock-in Yeah. and then one of our listeners on Discord was like Missionette someone else had that yes yes oh my gosh yeah no I, I love hearing all of these things and I mean Elizabeth you hit it you know right on the head that I mean ultimately the question we're getting to with this is what is femininity you know, how do we engage with it? All of that. And um, we'll get more into that later. But, um, you know, I was basically raised the youngest of five, three sisters older than me. Um, like with my mom, my brother is the oldest. So he was out of the house by the time I was like in kindergarten. So I was just raised among women. Um, and it's really funny because my closest friend was my female cousin who we were, were about two or three months apart. And she is like the biggest tomboy even to this day. And um, me, like we always joked around that she was basically my attachment to masculinity and I was her attachment to femininity <laughs> um, <laughs> in all of the different things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's funny because um, like I different, I definitely struggled in the whole masculinity, femininity conversation. Um, and um, even just in s different things, like I wanted a doll house and my parents gave me a castle and I cry. I still remember get crying over the fact of that. Um, but I think one of the interesting aspects of my engagement with femininity was knowing that there were, you know, like there's one thing about like the cultural understanding of masculinity and femininity of like, you know, dollhouses versus G.I. Joes or all of these kinds of things and feeling like I was only supposed to be masculine. But I I think what's interesting about my experience as I've thought in preparation for this episode is there were multiple things growing up with sisters about my experience that I knew were feminine, even in the like intrinsic way. And I didn't have an issue with that. Like 
I definitely had to do like did masculine things as well. My parents required that we play like I had to play baseball and all this stuff and go hunting and those things. But then, uh, but like, you know, culturally kind of stuff. But I think even in the way I gauge the world, there are ways that I, even then and even now I'm like, well, those were very feminine ways. And I don't never thought that was bad. Um, even as like a boy. So it's, it's interesting. Um, I think that's why I've, I was really excited to be on this episode because, um, I have really enjoyed getting to express femininity, um, in a way as a man, you know, without the thing of being like, you can only express femininity as a woman and you can only express masculinity as a man. And that somehow that changes, you know, your understanding of being a man or a woman. But, um, it's interesting with that. So playing onto this a little bit, we've kind of engaged in it, but I just want to throw the question out there in case anything else comes to mind. Have you had things that you have been afraid to do because of how people would view your femininity? Um, yeah. I did a very pendulum swing for a very long time with the way I dress. Um, <clears throat> I was always... As a teenager, I was very into like the punk scene, and a lot of us punk teenagers realized later we're just queer. Um, I still listen to like heavy metal music. That's that's not changed. That was a true genuine. <laughs> I thing love that. that. Like, mm-hmm. um, My husband just always, came home the other day and was he uh, goes to punk shows all the time, so okay. he came home the other day and he was like. Elizabeth, if you want to meet more like queer folks, particularly queer folks of color, you just need to start going to more punk shows and hard mm. like heavy metal shows because that's where they're all at. And I'm like, you know what? Yes. Wisdom, wisdom. So, Ashley, you were already there. <laughs> You've been there. Right. That was one of the things that was always to me also like, not that anyone said it particularly, but none of the other girls listened to the music I did. It was guys. Yeah. Um. And then I remember when I went through, I give some context. I had a pretty bad depression when I was a teenager. So mm. I went through some pretty intensive, like, um, what do you call that? Like inner healing and counseling and stuff for a minute. And for me, and this was nothing anyone put on me. That was part of my thing. I'm like, well, now I'm gonna try to do the girly thing, you know? Um, and it was, it was, a, I remember it being not even a point of contention, but I remember like my friend being like, I want to go shoe shopping for prom. And I'm like, yay, those shoes are ugly. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to go shopping for ugly shoes, you know? And <clears throat> that was the thing for me. I'm like, girls enjoy shopping and I don't. And I want to enjoy shopping. I didn't realize it was because I didn't like the clothes. I realized that late, way later in life. Now that I shop for clothes I like, I enjoy doing it. And so that for me was like, it's things like that. It's, it's, it's probably all in my head. I don't know, but it seemed to me, it was never what I realized now. I'm like, it's not that girls enjoy being frilly, but girls enjoy shopping. And I always, for whatever reason, sought after that experience because I felt like they had it and I didn't, but I just didn't like the clothes. Um, but I went through this. I'm like, I'm going to do the girly thing. So I remember I had a pink polka dot purse. Um, I tried wearing like the frilly tops and I did all of it. And through that experimentation, like I, I tell my sister, that was my face. I was very obsessed with the Olsen twins when I was 12. That was another, like, that was a, that was a moment for me. Who wasn't? No, I'm just. 
No, it's true. I was also into them. They were not. I didn't have. I didn't have a crush on them, though. They weren't. I didn't not either. My type. I just. I just really thought they were cool for whatever yeah. reason. I just because they were. They were. Yeah. They, they were, were the coolest ten-year-olds ever. <laughs> exactly. Like you have your own clothing line, and you're twelve years old. I want that. Yeah, um, I think. I think you become cool at that point. <laughs> yeah. And it was just always something I'm like, all right, I got to do this, you know, and I just, I would try and it just, I always felt so out of place and no one take this the wrong way. I just always felt in women's clothes, I felt out of place in a sense of like, I feel like I look like a dude in a dress. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. Dudes wear your dresses. I just felt like it didn't look like it went on me. Mm-hmm. That, I felt that's like a it, thing that's a thing yeah. mm-hmm. you know like when I had to go show, uh, dress shopping and there's, there's certain dresses I've like not hated mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll put it that way um, I had to find one for my brother's wedding and it took forever because I just felt like in all of them I look like this you know yeah. and I'm like I look like a pro wrestler and I don't like it um, I found one that was fine and I wore it but and aversely, I feel like in men's clothes, I'm more aware of my femininity and I feel like I look feminine in them. And I like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I wear men's clothes in a feminine way. Mm-hmm. Could be in my head. I don't know. No, that's no, how I feel. that is that is legitimately a thing. I have heard so many women, particularly queer women, share that oh, experience. Really? Yeah. Of like. Bet. There is something that feels more naturally feminine and like taps into the femininity that I embody when I wear a button down shirt or when I wear, you know, like cargo pants or like because that that in and of itself, I think we, you know, again, we like kind of categorize these things and pigeonhole these things. But I think femininity is far more vast than we give it credit for culturally, Um, you know, and I think if there are ways that feel traditionally more masculine, but yet bring out the aspect of who you are as a person who embodies femininity as someone who identifies as a female, then that is feminine. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was, that was kind of like, dang it, I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, it was, it was the fact that I always saw girls, they had this sheer sense of enjoyment of Mm. dressing up and I'm like, this is torture. Yeah. Yeah. But when I get to dress up the way that I like, I'm like, I do enjoy this. And that was kind of just the part of me that that's what I sought after. I'm like, I want to experience this experience the way you experience it because we're supposedly both women and I'm not experiencing it the same way you are. And so when I was able to find a way to experience the same thing in a different way, I'm like, okay, that makes sense for me. Someone said it one time. It's like, I'm feminine. Like a gay man is feminine. And I'm like, I feel like that mm. is kind of me. Wow. Like me and Grant. I feel like we have the same sense of fashion. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like it's whatever would be too manly for a woman, but also at the same time too girly for a man. That's what I want to wear. There you go. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, that's just what I usually. I want to wear a floral tie. I want to wear like a floral button down. You I know, love I that. Like, you know, and it took, in a sense, 
getting to know gay men mm-hmm. to be more comfortable with certain feminine aspects. We can get wow. Wow. Oh, I can't wait to hear more about that. I love that. Yes. So that is really interesting. I think um, for me, kind of similar, Ashley, to what you were sharing is I think first, first off, when Josh, when you asked this question, it was my queerness. Like mm. that was that was the first thing that I felt like I do not want to embrace. I do not want to come out because what what does that mean to my femininity? Yeah. What will mm. others yes. think of me? Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of twofold. Like one of it is one aspect of that is because traditionally queer women or, you know, women who are attracted to women are more butch you know it's more of that mask energy that it's like oh yeah of course stereotypically that that, thank you that's a better word stereotypically not usually but like in my head like stereotypically that's what we see right and you know you always met you've always met that girl where she comes out and you're like yeah we we thank you for sharing something that we probably all knew since you were eight um um but for me, I was like, I know that this is going to come as a surprise for everyone. And I don't know if people are actually going to believe me because of my, you know, classic femininity. And, you know, honestly, like, I don't even know if I can believe myself because of my classic femininity. And I think that that's kind of the other fold of it was like, well, but can this be true because I don't fit within the box and now do I have to fit within another box in order to prove to people my queerness and obviously that's not true but you know I I hope I'm not alone in knowing that that is a part of the experience of coming out and kind of like settling into our queer identity is like okay so what kind now it's not just what kind of female am I going to be it's what kind of queer person am I going to be what kind of and then uh, add the extra layer Ashley of bisexuality as well of like well people don't even believe that I'm real anyway (laughs) that this experience (laughs) is legitimate anyway now I have to be like the real feminine person who has this experience will this even be legitimized um Mm. so that okay yeah you got something to say but come on give it to me (laughs) let me like i I have thoughts of that too because it's like one i remember when i was realizing my sexuality was one it was like i'm already bad enough at being a girl yeah now i'm gay too like it was like that was interestingly enough like i said I've, i've fought so long with the way that i think about my gender expression so much longer and that was a pylon for me, especially because in XK circles, sexuality is a gender identity issue. Yeah. I'm doing air quotes mm-hmm. for those. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so it was me not embracing my femininity to like women. Mm. And on exactly. the other side, yes. And on the other side of that, you say people are going to think you're straight because you're feminine. And I feel like you fall more on the other side of the spectrum as I do. You kind of like men a little more probably than I do. <laughs> I think we've talked about it. <laughs> Do I, do I have to comment on that today? <laughs> no. No, there is no requirement. Look, when I was 16, I liked guys a lot more than I do now. I'll say that much. Um, it, it, it comes and goes. But exactly. 
it's also part of the thing of like, I am, I feel like I am to an extent on the more masculine side. I do tend to prefer women a little more than I do men. And so on the same side, people sometimes don't, don't understand bisexuality if it's not 50 50. And I'm like, I know I look or you perceive me as a lesbian. Yes. Yes. And if we could talk like societal, like speaking, we call all queer people, we call them gay. I'm like, in that sense, you could probably call me a lesbian, lesbian, but in the strict sense of my attractions, that is not true. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so it like, it kind of has that, that twofold um, side of like how you perceive people perceive your femininity also reflects how they perceive your bisexuality or lack thereof. Yes, yes. I remember before I'm I'm airing out some real dirty laundry out here, y'all. Like I'm Let's getting super vulnerable. I am already asking for forgiveness because this is probably okay, so mm. a little context. Bill Henson during his um posture shift training, which I went two years ago, he had said there was a moment, Josh, tell me if he still does this or you guys still do this, but there's like a moment where he talks about like faux pas that straight people do and say in the church mm-hmm. that we don't even realize often are so harmful to the queer community. And then he made everybody stop and everyone at the table had to share what is something that you might have done or said in the past that has been really harmful that you're now like realizing or you've already known is really harmful that you personally have done? So do, do you guys still do that? Um, Occasionally. He doesn't do it every time. Okay. Well, I had the pleasure of having to share some of the worst thing, one of the worst things I'd ever said um, before I came out. So I'm going to tell all of you guys now. Um, you know, internal homophobia, but I remember hanging out with a friend and I was getting ready and like we were going to go out. I was getting ready, doing my hair, makeup, da da da, like looking cute. And I said out loud in my own internal homophobic voice, you know what? I could never be gay because I'm too pretty to be gay. Mm-hmm. But I, but you hear this like, this this contrast with my femininity right it's like no because i can't because i'm too feminine like i'm too i do think i'm beautiful like i am i'm too pretty to fall Mm -hmm. into this camp that is supposed to be this way that i am not and you know i'm realizing again like that was just all a part of my wrestling not only with my my queerness, but also with what my queerness meant as somebody who identifies and loves their femininity. You know, the thing I think is so interesting about this is like growing up with my one cousin who I've mentioned, I keep telling her, I'm like, girl, you need to listen to this podcast with the amount of times I mention you on here. She needs to be on this podcast. <laughs> Honestly, now that I'm thinking, I really would have loved to have had her on this podcast because I always say she's the queerest straight woman you'll ever meet kind of thing. Um, the straight Home Depot lesbians, yes. We, yes. Lo- we love and hate those girls because they're the ones that you always, you know, wanted to date. And then they're like, oh, but I'm straight. <laughs> I'm straight. So sorry. I know. So like growing up with her, everyone always thought she was a lesbian just constantly in our life. And we had another friend that we grew up with who was very feminine. The irony is after high school, 
my my cousin started dating a man and our friend came out as a lesbian and it was like twisted everyone's thoughts because there's this idea that just because you're butch you know kind of a, like stereotypically in culture because she refused to have long hair she's like that's too much work um she does not wear dresses she's not really into all of that um she didn't really ever want to like Physic, like physically have children. She's like, I will adopt. That's fine. I want my body. <laughs> and like all of those kinds of things, they were like, oh, so you have to be a lesbian. And I know that was a really big struggle for her because it was this whole thing of like, I can have femininity and it doesn't look like what you're doing. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I'm gay yeah. either, you know? Um, but I remember walking with her in that because the irony of her being accused of being a lesbian um, like in this really like accusatory manner while I am like coming out as gay in mm. front of her and all of these kinds of things and us, you know, engaging in all of that. But yeah, there's this whole conversation around like how you live out your femininity and whether it makes you automatically queer, all those things like what you shared, which thank you for sharing that, Elizabeth. Um, I, to move this into a little bit more, like obviously it just kind of flows into that. Like we, we've been touching on some of it, but I'd like to focus in a little bit more on what do you think are some of the messagings from culture we get about femininity? Maybe even how the church plays into those messagings. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, and I think kind of to, conti- to continue where we've been, yeah. um, I think there's the message that I, I – Ashley, I think you touched on of like, well, if you are, if I might continue to make it gay, um, if you are queer, if you're gay, if you're bi and you identify in this community, even trans, it's because you have a lack of femininity. It's Mm -hmm. because you have a deficiency in your gender expression. Um, so, and I think, yeah, that was absolutely kind of some of the rhetoric in the gay, in the ex-gay movement. Like if we paint your nails and make you wear dresses and do all of those things that we believe are culturally feminine and, and actually should be adopted by the church. Well, maybe that's a good question. Should we just Mm -hmm. adopt everything that we see and are told is culturally feminine and, and is, does that make it right? I would argue no. But like if we do all of these things, then it's going to fix you. And it doesn't work like that. Like I I do my nails and wear dresses all the time. It didn't do anything for me. So, so yeah, I think that that that's kind of a part of some of that church hurt that we, our community has to carry. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I remember... Did you read Love and Respect, Elizabeth? Did you have to do that? Oh, Lord, no. Thank you, Jesus. I'm scared of what that is. My mom sent me an English and a Spanish version when I got engaged. Um, oh, I I'm, you, I don't even need to read it. I feel like I already read it. I read of it course. in my trauma. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. And um, not only that, me loving... Ms. Gregoire and how she's debunking the bad studies in this. Everybody go read her research. Mm. Um, but I remember reading that and I'm like, okay, because I want to be a good wife to my husband, obviously. I want to be, because when I was praying about this and seeing like, God, is this the guy for me? When I was really, you know, on the edge of not, I'm like, God, you know, this isn't the time for me. Um, here, 20 years old. 
Um, maybe I want to live my life a little more. I raised a bunch of kids, you know. Josh talking about how he had a lot of sisters. I have six brothers. There you go. They're all younger God, than me. God bless. But you. I was basically raising boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two sisters. Not that there were no women there, but and my mom tends to reflect off of us as opposed to the opposite. So me being a comfy person, she just never really got dolled up until my sisters were teenagers and she was like, ooh. And that's who she is, but she didn't she didn't know how to she came into her own femininity after I was gone. Um so I remember reading that book and wanting to just be a good partner to my husband. One of the things that convinced me, I read Proverbs 31, it says you will be helpful to him in all ways. And I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to be his his partner, his support, his help me. You know, I want to make sure that he can get to where he needs to get. And, you know, all these books telling you, well, this is how you do that. And I'm like, okay. And that just didn't match us at all. All these things, they're like, women need this and women do this and guys need this mm-hmm. and guys do this. I'm like, you have not met us because mm-hmm. this is frustrating. And how unhealthy for your relationship. Like, it was for a long time and it caused a lot of fights. I can imagine. Um, plus the people who are leading us and guiding us trying to be helpful because yes, we were young. We were both childish, you know, um, and he'll admit him more so. Um, came out of his own mouth. Um, and us trying to fix our problems with that. Well, like, well, maybe you should spend more time with him. Maybe you should be more affectionate. Um, maybe you should clean more often. Um, they, I was in charge of the kitchen for two years and I thought it was like a responsibility thing, which it was. Wow. Cause no one wants it. Yeah. Um, and it is. I, I liked learning the administrative part of it and it was fun and I love cooking. I love the kitchen. But I realized the reason they put me in there was because they wanted to like embrace my feminine role or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my husband was in charge of work duty or like chores for the guys. And he would like, you know, administrate who cuts the grass and who cleans and who does this and that and the other thing. And I realized later it's because they wanted me to fall into that and it was like... I already like being in the kitchen. That's not the issue here. Like, I love cooking for my family. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love eating. So it helps. Um, But like, when they were trying to push me into that, the more I kind of was like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. The more they tried to make me look feminine, specifically, the more I didn't want to do those innately feminine things i'm like okay so i can't wear what i want so i don't want to clean i don't want to cook i don't want to do any of this of things that i actually do pretty well now that we're on our own and i can look the way that i want and i can i want to clean home like i said i enjoy cooking for my family things that were like they were always big pushing on like you know him being in charge of the finances. My husband forgets his own mother's birthday. Yeah. Every yeah. year. She has two. It's not completely his fault, but she has in Latin two America, you're bo- in Latin America, you're born out in the countryside and then they go register you a few months later okay. in the hospital. Okay. I got so you have when you were born <laughs> and you're Yeah. So you have when you're born and you have like your legal birthday. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, I hear that. September. 
it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's not healthy for who God made you to be. It's not healthy for the relationship that God has given you. And I think also it's just like straight up a terrible, lazy interpretation of scripture. Like one of Amen. the books that has just blew my mind, informed me incredibly about the idea of femininity, which I'm insisting on being somewhere related to this podcast, this episode today. We'll put it in the notes. Okay, awesome. It is um, an author named Jonalyn Fincher. And the book is called it's it the title is not my favorite, but you know, it means something in the context of the book. But the book is called Ruby Slippers, How a Woman's Soul Leads Her Home to 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 the father and that's the concept is like the the dorothy like there's no place like home so you know it's not just a feminine thing it has context. sounds interesting it oh girl is it's incredible and basically some of the things she touches on uh in the book one is this idea and, and and you know just scripturally what does it mean for eve to have been created from adam and then be assigned as the helper or the helpmate. And, you know, I heard that growing up a million times over. And it was always that sense that you were explaining, Ashley, of like, we are there to support our husbands. We are there to support men. So whatever men need help with, that's where we come in. We don't have any ideas. We don't have any ambitions. Our, our, the meaning of our existence is to lift up and support men. And that was kind of what I, I had thought. And going into my marriage, that's what I thought I needed to do. Um, and then reading her book, she describes like, what is an Ezer? Mm-hmm. What is a helper? What does this yeah. really mean biblically? Because we can't just take this thing out of context. We have to see it in the fullness of the narrative of scripture. And, how does God call himself or themselves or herself an Ezer? And we see mm-hmm. it countless times in scripture. Absolutely. And the Ezer is is a helper in the sense of we see it in like, uh, I look to the hills from where does my help, my Ezer comes from. My Ezer, my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven, heaven and earth. So it is this strong, powerful character that nothing can happen and exist without. It is the savior, the Ezer. Mm. You know, it is, it is the strong tower. Yeah. And I just was like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. I have more significance than, than I thought. Like, this is, this is crazy. Like, think about Proverbs 31, and it's always used as like the virtuous woman, this, that, and the other thing. I feel like no one actually reads it. No. That woman because, was I mean, a beast. Looked, exactly. Yeah. She was a beast. Like, I remember the first time I really thought about it was one of my first, like, queer friends when I was in missions. Um, and they would always be like, with your Proverbs 31 arms. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I am a little naturally more stronger than most girls my age yeah. and my size. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what are you talking about? And, like, they showed me. And I was like, huh, I never really thought about it that way. And I would, like, read it. And I'm like, so basically this man somehow makes money and then goes sit in the door of the city and chills there <laughs> I can't, I can't. and she invests and runs everything she manages the money she manages the household she does everything mm-hmm. which is like we can talk on that she sells but her like, wares 
Yeah. Like she's, mm-hmm. she's, she is the head of the household mm-hmm. in the sense that we yeah. generally think of it. Yeah. He was obviously still the head in the submission thing. And I mean, we think about culture. Oh, it was, we, she was in no way the head of the household, but she was running the ship. She was the CEO. Yeah. She was the CEO. Yeah. Right. 100 there's a um there's a good book that um one of the elders of my church and i have been going through with another person um she's also like my elder she's also a um old testament professor so she found this book on uh what is biblical gender um and basically it's a lot more boring than you think this book is because basically it's going through you were telling me about that it was like a big one and a little one yeah and that the idea is that they're going through like biblical archaeology to show like what how genders actually lived out in israelite culture so like going through who made the bread or who did this or who did that and they're showing this like thing that we we have this general idea in ancient israelite culture that there was just like the man is over everything and the woman is just sitting in the house mm. doing nothing. When actually, when you look at the archaeology, it's very much not like that. Like, yes, there's still in some ways a hierarchy. Yes, there are these ways. But there's also, there's a lot of evidence that shows the woman was in charge of the house. That's why even when you see in some ways like the Abraham um, Sarai like story about Hagar when Sarah is the one who tells him to sleep with Hagar. There's an actual way that Sarah is actually like working out of the way of she's in charge of fertility. She's in charge of like the house. And this is the woman's role to decide these things. Not saying that that makes it okay for her to tell him to sleep with the servant. I'm not, so I'm not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying is that like the idea that the woman was in charge of the house and the mm-hmm. prolonged um, like the bringing of food and all these things that this wasn't just this man making bread. Like the woman was making the bread. The woman was doing these things. Yeah. And the way that we think of ancient biblical Israelite culture is not the way that it actually was. It's yeah. Such a- I need some books on like what is femininity because I've not found one that's been helpful to me or that I've yeah. liked. We we got them. Um, we got them for you. I'm telling you. Because yeah. like it's been something I've had to learn on my own, learn yeah. from other Mm-hmm. Like queer women, kind of like in conversation. It's been something I've had to develop my own through the word of God. Yeah. But like books that claim to like, well, this is great. Here's a nuanced position. And I'm like, no, it's not. One of the best things I've ever read has been the book, chapter on gender. I know I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but there's a chapter on gender in Deborah Hirsch's book, Redeeming Sex. Oh, my gosh, that book. And mm-hmm. I love it because, first of all, she acknowledges that it's very hard to define what biblical yes. masculinity and femininity are. But the thing that I also really love about it is she acknowledges that if Jesus is fully God and fully man, that means Jesus is fully feminine and fully Absolutely. Masculine. Absolutely. And that, you know, like as a man, you are always taught to look to Jesus as your source of masculinity. But then she like talks about how women are almost like detached from looking at Jesus for their femininity. But then she's kind of going, you should. And actually that also means men, you should look to Jesus for their fe- your femininity. And women, you should look to Jesus for your masculinity because there's all these ways like it's also kind of the way that we talk about the Trinity that I always think is really sad that um, when you, for instance, when you get into the whole pronoun of God debate, like, and we're not going to get necessarily get into that. The one that I've always said, I, I, no matter what your view is on mm-hmm. the pronouns of God, you cannot deny that there are feminine pronouns for God is the Amen. Spirit. Amen. Because mm-hmm. the spirit is constantly talked about in feminine terminology, mm-hmm. in feminine mm-hmm. gender, in feminine pronouns even many times. 
Um, I mean, look at Proverbs, like the ways that wisdom of God, which is a whole thing I would argue is connected to the spirit of God, is talked about as a woman. Um, and all of these different aspects. Um, so um, also the word of God in that. And all of these different things are talked about in feminine um like terminology, Jesus comparing himself to a hen wanting to gather his flock together. Come like on. he's talking about himself as a feminine character. Mm-hmm. And also the parable of the woman looking like sweeping her house, looking for the like coin. Jesus is the woman. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. this story. Um, so there's all these ways that like the femininity of God. I love that you brought up the Ezer because that's always one of the biggest things that comes into my mind. Um, but like one thing I wanted to say, because we're getting a little bit more into the question about like what does scripture say about gender, which I love. Um, but one thing kind of relating back to that on uh, on what does what are the messages of that culture tells us that I've always thought is a really big one for me is this idea that men can't be feminine and women can't be masculine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because I... Or that we shouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, or that you can. shouldn't be. Is that we shouldn't be. Yeah, because I think sometimes we've had to argue, like, I, I know in some, like, masculine conversations, we've had to argue that, like, oh, these things, men can do these things. Like, in order for men to do something, we have to argue that it's not feminine. And I'm like, well, why can't it be feminine? And why yeah. can't you do it? Yes. It's fine. Yes. It's fine that it's feminine. Like, if, like, let's just say nurturing is a feminine trait, which I would argue it is. Yes. It's good for men to nurture. Yes. Like, uh, let's say protecting is a masculine trait. It's good for women to protect. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to be a man, and we don't have to argue that it's not masculine or it's not feminine. That's why I joke around in my house of men. I will happily say I am the mother of the house because I am the nurturer of the house. I want to, like care for people in that way and it's a feminine trait absolutely i do it as a man um but i think we see that in scripture like henry and grant talked about it in the last episode of um all people are called to be the bride of christ it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman all people are uh, called to be the bride of christ and all people are called to put on the armor of god which in that period was a masculine trait um or a masculine like analogy um so there's these ways that like masculine and femininity are not like contained in one gender or the other. Yeah. Well, and I also think I think so many things about this. Now <laughs> now you're get you're getting me going. Okay. So one, I think the way that uh gender roles or masculinity and femininity played out in scripture. I think okay, we do this and I don't know why we do this. <laughs> In, in Christendom, <laughs> but we're like, okay, well, what did they do in the Bible? Because whatever mm. they did in the Bible is what we should be doing now. And it's like, who says? Because yes. there was a reason why Jesus had to come, right? Like there is a reason why the children of Israel needed a Messiah. And it it was because they didn't have it all together. It's because yep. there is nothing innately ethical and right about ancient Israel customs and culture any more than it is in modern day America or any other country. So just because, you know, Abraham did it this way does not mean we need to do it this way. Um, 
And one of the things I, I again, this the book of John Ellen Fincher's book I love. One thing that she had said at one point that I love, she talked about this woman had come to her after she spoke somewhere, and this woman was totally distraught, and she was like, I was in a, a like, women's group, and I was, you know, talking about issues in my marriage, and someone had said to this woman, well, you know, it's just going to be that way because of the curse. You know, the curse says that there's going to be, you know, there's going to be contention between a man and a woman. And there's just going to be this power dynamic that you're always going to struggle with in your marriage. So that's just the way it is. And Jonalyn looked at this woman and said, when have we ever as Christians decided to just give up? Yes. What is, when did we decide, well, sin wins the day. The curse is the ultimate answer. Last time I checked, we have victory in Christ. Last Mm. time I checked, the curse has no power over us. So why are we submitting ourselves to something that was actually supposed to be a problem for us when we have victory? Mm. I have never Mm. heard this preached once in my life. I have never been taught that by a woman before. And I, I, it was, it saddened me. Oh my gosh. That we don't know this. I've, I had heard something similar to that when I was talking to someone about childbirth and about a friend of mine yes. who was going to take meds, like, you know, like uh, an epidural and stuff. And the woman was trying to argue that you oh can't do gosh. that. That's circumventing the curse. I'm like, isn't that the point? Yes. <laughs> it is the freaking. Also, that is some weird exegesis That's, right there. I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've never heard that excuse for not having an epidural. And I've heard a lot of them because my yeah. mom does not it's agree insane. with them. Because she thinks you'll, you'll yeah. have like permanent back damage, which you could. Okay, But going back to your point, Elizabeth, it's the but, idea that. Jesus, we have like victory. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then another thing, I'm I'm just dying to say, it, and I feel like we would be remiss to not talk about it in this conversation, is what does femininity and masculinity mean for those of us who identify on the trans spectrum mm. or you know hold a trans identity? Because I think that this is an important piece, and I know that it that's not our experience, the three of us here. Yeah. However, whenever I talk to people about trans questions around trans identity, um, and recently got one about like, well, what do I think about this? And what do I think about that? And I said, you know, this, when I think about femininity and masculinity, because of some things I've been taught, I, I believe that femininity and masculinity are embedded in the souls of humanity. I don't think that it is dictated by my biological sex. I think it is a forever trait in some form or fashion that I will carry with me onto eternity. Um, and that being said, to me, that really validates and, and helps me understand the trans experience because that makes sense given kind of incongruence of body and soul or body and emotion and spirit and presentation. Because why do we think that it is only the body that needs to, the body is what was meant to be, or the body is what is correct, not the soul or the spirit of somebody. But if we are all kind of products of the fall, then it makes sense that there might be some of us who experience incongruence. Mm Mm-hmm. 
if our souls are eternally masculine, feminine, or somewhere in between. So, you know, like, I, I feel like it helps me understand the validity of somebody's trans experience when I understand that there's far more to femininity than wearing a dress and liking to cook and submitting to, air quotes, <laughs> submitting yeah. to men, you know, or yeah. my husband. Yeah. I would say, like, it reminds me of Palandra, the second book in C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, uh, which happens if anyone is aware. Nerd. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, ironically, that book in his Space Trilogy, it happens on Venus, on the on the planet of Venus. The idea is that God is creating a new race and Satan is going there to thwart it, um, like this race that hasn't fallen. And God, I guess, decides to send humans to help. <laughs> Doesn't seem like we didn't do a good job. So, but anyway, regardless, the story is about, it talks actually a lot about gender, especially because the idea is that the angel c protecting Venus is a gen feminine, like, mm. I don't know, spirit. And, um, but there's this passage, which has always fascinated me, um, where basically it's like these angels are coming, there's masculinity and femininity, and C.S. Lewis, in short, argues that it is gender, not sex, that is the central, more core aspect, that rather that, like, sex, biological sex is an outflowing of gender rather than gender being an outflowing of biological sex, um, especially since gender comes from God. Come on, C.S. Lewis. It's a really intriguing passage. I recommend, I think it's the best book of his space trilogy. His third one sucks, to be honest. But like the second one, it's a standalone book. If anyone is interested in a fiction engaging in the theology of gender, mm -hmm. um, really, really fascinating. Because I think it gets to your point on like, if gender comes from God... Like, God does not have biological sex. Jesus does, obviously. But, like, the Trinity as a whole doesn't. But the Trinity has gender. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that that's important for women to hear and those of us who carry feminine expressions, all, which is everybody, um, to hear is because, like, we, we um, reflect the image of God. And men don't do it more than we do. You yeah. know, or, or masculine characteristics don't reflect God more than yeah. the feminine. But we equally bear God's image through our femininity, through our masculinity. Yeah. Like, I, I remember, like, when Grant and Henry were talking about it and the way they always said that, like, you know, like, traditionally in church, they always point men, like, look to Jesus. Like, there's the ultimate expression of your masculinity. And not to say that Bible characters are less, but they get God and our examples get to be people. Yeah. You know, like you get the whole son of God. Yes. Mm -hmm. And not that there's anything bad about being the bride of Christ or being or being Ruth or mm -hmm. being, you know, all these badass women in the Bible. But they're still humans. And it's like your ultimate example is the God of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And I get another human. You're one yeah. tear down. You're one tear down. Exactly. And it's kind of like. No. I don't, yeah. I don't. I don't want that. Like I, I want. I want that same ultimate divine example mm -hmm. of what I'm supposed to embody and what I'm yeah. supposed to be. This is also where I'm going to be a little bit of a bad Protestant and say <laughs> I think that the I think that the Catholic Church yes. has something mm -hmm. to gain by the way that they look at Mary. Um, even mm -hmm. though I don't agree with it as a Protestant, I would also say that there is something about the 
divinity that they give to Mary, the status that they give to Mary. I would also argue that you can find that in God in general, so you don't need it. But I just think that has opened a door within Catholicism, within this conversation that maybe is hard for us to see within um, the Protestant um, conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, As as we close up, because believe me, we could go on. The, I, I do want to point out another thing that I thought was really good from the last episode that I think comes into this. I we I pulled it out on the Instagram quotes because I just thought it was so good. Um, Grant talked about how rather than looking at intrinsic traits of masculinity or femininity, maybe it's more they're meant to be players in a conversation. Like how do they relate to each other, both within ourselves, within God, within how we relate to other people. So rather than like, do you wear blue or do you wear pink? It's like, how do you engage with other people? How do you engage with masculinity? How do you engage with femininity? And that that's where it's happened. So maybe we've been asking the wrong question in some ways. I just think that that's an area to do. But the last question I would love to get your guys' thoughts on is um, I'm I'm actually going to add a second part to this than what I told you both. Um, so the first part is, what would you like to see changed about our understanding of femininity or the conversation around it? But the second part is, what do you wish men would learn or embrace about femininity or like non-feminine persons? Like, you know. I think my first thought, my first thought is, can we see beyond the cultural definitions of femininity and masculinity? And I don't, I don't think that they're wrong. I just think mm-hmm. that they're limited. Like mm-hmm. you said, blue and pink. Like, is my femininity really boiled down to wearing pink versus wearing blue? Like, yikes! Like that. That is silly. The cultural conversation behind pink and blue and capitalism aside yes exactly now do i like pink sure my husband's favorite color is actually pink so i i let him wear all the pink in the family but you know there's nothing wrong with liking things that are culturally feminine however can we go beyond that and i think that there are so many deeper aspects of femininity and again like I can't, I can't take credit for any of this because this book was life-changing for me. But some of the things that, that John Allen talks about is like, now, is this exclusively feminine? No. But if we had to boil some things down, there's aspects of femininity that are like um, interdependence, uh, emotional intelligence, cultivation, Like these are, Josh, you pointed to nurturing. Like these are aspects of femininity that go far beyond flowers and painted nails. Um, and, and aspects of femininity that, that people who identify in all gender spectrums can carry in some form or another. Um, and to me, like that's the meat. Like that's what I want to, that's what I want to discuss. And that's what I want to bring to the table and to teach those who maybe carry a more masculine uh, posture. What can I bring in my, my um, emotional intelligence and the, my ability to be interdependent with others in ways that, that maybe traditionally men are not able to? What are the ways that I can even use the femininity of my body as a message of God's goodness and grace. Um, the, the ability to cultivate, 
to tend to others, to tend to myself and to tend to the world, to produce life. Like those things are beautifully, beautifully feminine. And I would love to have conversations around that in the church before I'd like to have conversations about like who bakes the cookies. And literally somebody had told me that. Like my job in ministry is to bake cookies so that when my husband comes home after doing the cultivating of caring for others' lives, that there's cookies waiting for him and the people Mm -hmm. that he's ministering to. And I was like, I ain't baking no cookies. (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, but that is not me. I'm cultivating, baby. (laughs) Like that's what I'm doing out there. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love that. That reminds me kind of on the conversation that was brought up about the Proverbs 30, 31, right? 31 woman. Um, I love the fact that when the Gospels talk about everyone who was the major donors of Jesus' ministry, they're all women. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's oh, one passage yes. in Mark or Luke. The the financial backing of Jesus' yeah. ministry. <laughs> it was like, here is all, here's where Jesus's money comes from. Mm. And it lists out like Mary Magdalene, because apparently mm. she was f- from wealth, um, like a woman in Herod's court, how, like court and like all these, it's all women. Wow. And I'm like, wow. okay. Yeah. <laughs> women are just like, here you go, Jesus. Yeah. Here's and in so The Chosen, they kind of touch on it a little bit where they're like, the only guy that's really worried about it is like Matthew and Thomas because they were in administrative jobs to an yeah. extent. But all the other ex- disciples are decide—they're just really excited about like conquering the Romans and this, that, and the other thing. And the women are like, "We're gonna starve." Yeah, we need business. Mm, oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Yeah, where can we get food? And food comes from money. Who, who's doing <laughs> this? And nobody's like raising hands. None of the men care, and so all the women are doing the business. I love wow, it. Yes, wow! Wow! That's great. It's yeah. A great hint, like um, nod to it. Anyway, continue. I think, I don't know if you were done, Elizabeth. Uh, I I think the only thing I'll add is just from what you said, Josh, is that like what Jesus did that was so radical when as it relates to women, I think is that he ascribed the dignity that was owed to women in ways that the culture did not. Yep. And... I and he and and it wasn't because he like flipped the script for women. It wasn't because he told women, "Okay, I want to free you from the bondage of femininity." He was ascribing them dignity because they were all in many ways they were already doing the work. They were already doing the stuff for the kingdom, and people just weren't really giving credit where credit was due and giving them space to flourish. Yeah. And I think we still see that problem today. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Um, I think, like I said, when I talked about how I would have a big pendulum swing and how I present and how I feel about things and, and stuff throughout like my teenage years and my 20s, I remember I was in this part where I'm like, you know what? I can't do it, so I'm not going to do it. So I'm really going to embrace this whole more masculine. I mean, I was in missions. It was it was more of an internal thing. I didn't. I still didn't look like a Home Depot lesbian because that's just not wasn't gonna fly where I was at. Um, but it was like there were certain things. They'd be like, "You want to go try this? Or you want to go do this?" I'd be like, "That's a chick thing," and that's a very demeaning answer. Mm-hmm. I've noticed, and I've I've read. You no, know, the more I've grown up, and it seemed like we shame little girls for liking what they like, 
for liking sparkles. Yeah. And for liking pink. And liking all these things. And for me, it was the only way that I could hang on to what I had. Because the only way people would let me be more masculine was if I could show them, like, I can't. I can't do that. And I hate those things. And I'm different. That's sad. And like I said, I would experiment with the girly things. And I'm like, I actually like doing makeup. And I like doing my nails, which I just don't do now because I don't have time. Um... But like, like I said, like me, like I would want to put on like a full suit and a full face of makeup and I like my long hair, you know, um, I've heard several times people inside be like, so when you're cutting your hair, I'm like, who said I'm cutting my hair? Mm. Like, mm, I love my hair, like <laughs> maybe a little bit too much of what I weigh my look on, but it doesn't matter. It's good hair. Um, it's good hair. Exactly. <laughs> and... Like, realizing, like, later on, I'm like, I need to stop saying that. I need to stop acting like that. Like, feminine things aren't innately bad. But that comes from the whole masculinity being better and men being better. So girls' likes or hobbies or interests are just girly interests Mm -hmm. are dumb. And that was kind of, like, where my problem came with when I was little. I wasn't girly. And because I wasn't girly, I thought I wasn't feminine. And because I thought I wasn't feminine, I thought I wasn't a good woman. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I wanted to be was a woman, which is an odd thing to think about. It's like, here I am, fully woman. And, like, that's wow. what I'm aspiring to be. Wow. Like, I'm not. Mm. And it, it had to come with this realization that, like, feminine isn't necessarily girly. Because guys can be girly to an extent, you know? Some girls are girly. And maybe I'm not like that. But I am still in this way that I found... I have found femininity in an essence more than in things I can show people. Like, here's my femininity. Just you can see it. Leave me alone. Um, It's like, no, I take good care of my family. You know? Like, for me, I'm like... That's always like, you know... I'm the one who works, like, the full-time job. My husband has, like, a smaller job on the side. He stays home all day with my son. He cleans the house so much better than I do. I try, and it's just not. And him, he's like, I'm going to do a quick clean, and it looks better than when I cleaned, cleaned. You know? Mm. I try. It's not my talent. Him, he'll burn noodles. You know? Uh So you have stereotypically masculine and feminine things in both of us, but our combination works. Yes. The way we work together works, kind of like Josh was talking about that conversation. Yeah. And I feel like if the more I've been able to find, like, both parts of me are good. My feminine aspects that I thought were girly, that were less than, are still good. Mm. I've learned to appreciate a skincare routine from gay men. Love that. Yes. I've I've been able to embrace certain things. I think Kat. LaPrairie talked about this one time, like that she was able to kind of wear long hair because now guys are more comfortable with longer Mm. hair. And I've I've noticed that myself too. There are certain things I'm like, women's clothes in general, the women's section, I just generally kind of just naturally don't want to go there. There might be things I find in there that I like, but I just don't really want to go there. Mm -hmm. But I've been more comfortable with like the fact that I see so many guys painting their nails it makes me more at wow. ease with it. Mm. Maybe that's all in my brain. No. It's perfectly fine. No, I think that that's really telling. Sorry, I didn't mean to and, cut you off. Oh, no, that's fine. But, like, it's been certain things that it was, like, that I've been able, like, I can go defend a gay man for doing that. I'm like, oh, well, then maybe it is okay for me yes. to do it, too. 
if it's not necessarily feminine to do those things that I've always perceived as feminine, I like them more now. <laughs> no, it's so good. It's like I said, it's a complicated conversation that I have with myself several times a year. You know, I've been having with myself since I'm six. You know, I think what what I'm hearing actually from you, which ooh, it's it's really rocking me right now, is that for better or for worse, men still hold the power of defining what is valuable mm. and what isn't. Yeah. If men are saying, if culture, which cult, like in our society, how culture is determined in value is whether white men say it, it's valuable. Mm. Um, yeah. If white men are still saying that liking girly things are less than and, you know, not in superior to whatever masculinity looks like, then we're women are stuck. We're always going to be stuck because it's like you're damned if you like what is told to you is very feminine and you're damned if you choose not to embrace what is told mm -hmm. to you is very feminine. And what because I Because it's like we're told we have to pick one. Yes. You have to pick one. And either way, it's not it's not going to go well by you. And it wasn't until which I woo, I love this. It wasn't until you felt you saw gay men do things that you felt like you were empowered and emboldened to do some of these things. And it's because I feel like part of that is because, again, if the power is exercised by the men, if these beautiful gay men are are saying like, hey, we don't need to see these these qualities and these traits and these interests as less than, then at, at the end of the day, it's empowering women. It's why gay men in the fashion industry is so crucial because it's helping to empower women as well as giving dignity to the interests of our, you know, of these beautifully talented gay men. So I guess in closing, what I would like to add, to add in my two cents is that like men use your, use the power that you have in this culture for better, or for worse to uplift yeah. women and femininity, mm -hmm. uplift femininity to its place of honor that God has, God has placed it, continue mm -hmm. the work of Christ mm -hmm. so that women can feel empowered to be the people that we've be been created to be as well. Oh my gosh. Okay, I, I'm done. I'm done. That's, that's it for me. I love that. That's <laughs> going to be quoted. That's going to be quoted on our Instagram. Um, yeah, because I, I, I love that because – as I talked about before, when there's like jokes about me being the mother of our house and stuff, I'll have some people that come to me kind of thinking that I should be like, almost like, oh, I'm so sorry you're described that way. I'm like, oh, no, I love it. <laughs> it's an honor. <laughs> because it's true. We need to uplift it and see like the beauty of this and that like, like it's a privilege to be seen in feminine terms. Like, uh, so, wow. There's so much gold in this episode. Any, any last thoughts? I didn't want to. I would say part of it just be like, if we could stop assuming things about people and start asking them questions. Because mm. it's yes. like, I like in like my masculine wear and in my guy's clone to be told that I look beautiful. I like being Ashley, told that I look can you up. say that again? Please. I said I like in my masculine clothes mm. and in my men's cologne and my men's deodorant to tell people to tell me that I look beautiful. Ooh. 
I'll take that I look handsome any day. No one tells me that because I'm in a conservative place and everybody thinks they're offending me. They're not. They, they, they think they're like projecting the femininity onto me by saying that. And I'm like, I don't care. But like ask people questions. Why? Why? Like my dad has a hard time with the suits. He does. My mom does too. She's just petty about it. But my dad is like, he feels like he's losing his princess. And it's like, no, I'm still her. I don't know how I feel about the princess part, but like, I'm still your first daughter. Yeah. You know, but like, you don't remember when I was a kid, when I was your only child and we go outside and like, I'd watch you fix your truck and we'd play outside and Mm. with the dogs and with the potato gun. And like, that was, that was our relationship from the start. Mm -hmm. That's always been us. You know, I'm still me. Mm. You just, he never really got to know me, the, the the whole family dynamic. But we should just ask people, like, why do you do certain things? And like I said, the, the way I feel about these things comes and goes and I, I overthink it a lot. But like I said, if we could just get to know people as opposed to just being like, well, I wonder or I think or just assuming if we could actually get to know people, it would bring us, it would just take us so much further. I'm glad you overthink it, Ashley, because you taught me a lot today. <laughs> well, I'm glad it was useful somehow. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a great note to end on about asking questions, because ultimately there's a book. I'm I'm not going to remember that. It's something like Jesus is the question to all of our answers or something like that. And it just goes into how Jesus loves to ask questions. And he really only answered three of the ones that he ever got asked. <laughs> um, normally he liked to answer questions with questions. More questions, yeah. Um, and I think it's that whole idea of getting to know people. So, yeah. Um, y'all, we hope that this episode has been helpful. We hope that you've taken something from it. Um, you know, we didn't come to this thinking we were going to solve the question of what is femininity. Not in at all. Hour. But th- if these are two components in a conversation – then this is part of the conversation here. So Amen. Um, thank you, Ashley and Elizabeth, for both being, bringing your wisdom and your experiences and sharing openly with us. You are both treasures. Thank you. Aww, thank, thank you. Thank you, yeah. thank you all for bringing your fen- femininity to the table today, Josh included. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. I was thinking that, like I said, like uh, Elizabeth, I was like, I feel like is the more innately feminine you know, answered to like my masculinity, but I was like, I feel like both of you are. Yeah. I've always just said like, I, the way I've always described my gender is I always say, I I've said it on the podcast again as well, um, that I have a weak sense of gender in the sense of, Hmm. I, um, know I'm a man and I have no problem with that, but I can easily go in between all masculine spaces, all feminine spaces and can easily fit into them and feel like I'm a part of it. If you ask me the question, are you a man? I'm like, yeah. What does that have to do with it, though? Yes. <laughs> like, what, yeah. What is, yes. It's like, it's... Related? Uh, eh. Oh, my so, gosh. I wish we could talk for, like, a whole nother hour. My I, gosh. I know. But, like, that's why I was really excited to be in this conversation, because I love my femininity. And it's even funny, because especially where I'm described as a... As, as Henry and Grant described me on the last episode as a fitness gay... Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying like, to be. I know. <laughs> I have a child. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And guess what? There's a lot of femininity I bring into the gym. Yes. And, yes. Um, so, anyway, yeah. So do all gym bros as much as they would deny it. Thank they look you. at themselves mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
but um yeah so i'm really glad for this and everyone we got so many good dialogue with patrons and audiences after our last episode can't wait oh to hear so good. excited awesome. about that so all right everyone you have a good week and we will talk to you soon bye, bye friends bye.